Last week saw the start of Lent in the Christian calendar. Lent in the Christian church is actually a period of preparation for Easter. And in many Orthodox traditions, church members are reminded of the need of penitence and of their own mortality by receiving a symbol on, in the form of ashes in a cross on, the fo- on their foreheads on the first day of Lent. It takes on board that idea that in the Old Testament, a sign of penitence was pouring on sackcloth and ashes. And hence, that's what happens on Ash Wednesday in many churches. Well, whilst we in the Salvation Army don't practice this custom, we do actually still prepare ourselves for Easter. And we observe this preparatory period that we call Lent. Well, this year, our theme that we've chosen for Lent and Easter uses three simple words. Whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. And using the Gospel of Mark, we're going to trace the footsteps of Jesus. The highs, the lows, the ups, the downs. And we're going to see what it is to live the way of Jesus in the world, whatever the cost. Because that's certainly how he came. He came to bring the message of God, whatever the cost. It's a demanding journey, but it's worth it. We'll be doing it through our Sunday services. We'll be doing it through our Lent Bible study. And this week, I've been giving the challenge to very many people as I've met them, as I did band devotions, as, I, I spoke, as we spoke in Bible study. A simple challenge to individuals to read the Gospel of Mark from beginning to end. Consecutively. So often we pick up the Bible and we pick up a Bible reading every now and then. We don't actually read a book from beginning to end. Well, there's a challenge for you. I'm giving it to you now. This Lent period... Take the book of Mark and read it from beginning to end as one long story. See what he's got to say. See how he says it. See what the impetus is behind his message. See the journey of Jesus through the eyes of John Mark. I don't know about you, but I'm someone who likes to keep a close rein on how the money is spent in our house. I have to do it. If I didn't do it, we'd be bankrupt, I can assure you. No, 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 no. I think Mrs. Allman would readily confess that is the truth. In all fairness, yes, thank you. Now, before you all come to the conclusion that I'm a tight-fisted northern miser, that is not necessarily true. It depends. The ladies in my house, who quite happily spend the money, knows that I am somebody who weighs up the cost. Whenever something is needed, more often than not, I am happy to apply the old adage, buy cheap, buy twice. I like to see the value in what we purchase and therefore I'll often give my blessing, if that's what's required in our house, to spend a little bit more if I think that the item purchased will perform better or last longer. I don't always go for the cheapest option. And you know what? It's not just about the things that we buy. And I want to just apply that today and that thinking to our Bible reading this morning. 
Our Bible reading this morning moves us from Jesus' anointing by the Holy Spirit that's in the opening verses of Mark chapter 1. He's been sent into the wilderness. He's been tested. That was the first week of Lent. We now move on, and we move on to the start of Jesus' public ministry. And we hear for the very first time the message that Jesus has to bring and how he makes that message known to his followers. And in a sense, the people he speaks to in those early days of his ministry are asked to begin this journey of weighing up the cost for themselves. That's how we do it. That's what he says. Mark is very clear to emphasize that there is a moment of change in what's going on. Verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. Bang! Change is happening. John has gone. Jesus has come. There is a clear emphasis on this moment of change. And with the end of John's ministry, God's dealings with his people through the law and the prophet has come to an end. And actually a new message is beginning. The baton is handed over. And by telling us about John being handed over and put into prison, Mark is also giving us a little indirect warning of the fate that would also come Jesus' way. They didn't like John. They put him in prison. They eventually killed him. Mark just tentatively drops into the, the narrative here. Hey, that's happened to John. Just watch out. See how this story develops. The, might, the cross might not come to the end of the gospel, but the shadow of it is here, right at the very beginning. And this part of the cost Jesus knew from the very beginning, when he started his ministry, he knew the cost was the cross down the line. And yet his message is clear. What does he say? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near Repent and believe the good news. That's his message in a nutshell. Well, if you were around in Jesus' day, the people of Jesus' day were quite familiar of the concept of what the kingdom of God was all about. We might not have such a clear understanding, but they did. And as far as they were concerned, God's kingdom referred to God's reign and rule over everything. That's what God's kingdom was. God's reign and rule over over everything. They knew that God was the sovereign ruler, yet they also knew that God had allowed his people to come under the rule of other nations. They also knew that God had allowed this to happen because of their own sin, because of their faltering ways. The prophets had told them this. All that had happened to them was a, a result of their fault. And yet they also knew through the prophets that one day, God would deliver them from their enemies, that he would rule the nations with perfect justice and righteousness. And this was the message of hope in the Old Testament. This was the message of hope in the Old Testament. And now Jesus says, the time for this has come. The kingdom of God was near. This is what they'd been waiting for. This was great news. Don't know about you, but in life, many things that happen to us, there's a build-up, isn't there? How it was for Craig and Gina. Nine months build-up to a great day. 
For all of us, we experience things in life where there is an accumulation, a build-up. And this is what is happening here. There's a build-up. Something great has been happening. Jesus comes along and says, now it's happened. It's here. And yet the way he goes about delivering this message is very different to the forerunner, to John the Baptist. John had been giving his message in the southern province of Judea, in the wilderness. People who wanted to see him had to come to him to be baptised. They needed to make a special journey. No, 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 not the same with Jesus. Jesus starts his ministry in the more populated areas of northern Galilee. And rather than waiting for the people to come to him, he goes to them. He goes to them. And he begins it with this call. We read it in the next few verses that come up. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Again, this is quite an immense change. He was calling people to follow him. If you looked at Jewish tradition, the way that teachers and followers worked, rabbis all had followers. But if you were a follower, you chose the rabbi you wanted to follow. And you would actually approach that rabbi and you say, can I be your disciple? The rabbi would decide, well, yes, you can. And at that point, the disciple was allowed to follow. You approached the rabbi. Not so here. This is a, a turning round of the whole situation. Jesus asked them to follow him. You know, if you became a disciple of a rabbi, you didn't follow him personally. You stood it under him. You followed his interpretation of the law. But when Jesus calls these people, he called them to follow him. Notice that. He called them to follow him. Not law, him. This wasn't a call to follow a religion. It wasn't a call to follow a set of teachings or a way of life. This was a call to follow a person. Follow me. And at the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus shows us the important truth that remains today in Christianity, that Christianity is primarily about a person. It's not about traditions and laws, it's about a person. The faith that we have is about a person, the person of Jesus. And the call is twofold. It's a call to follow and then it's this weird thing. I will send you out to fish for people. The image of fishing appears in the Old Testament. So these people would have been quite familiar with this. There are a number of times in the Old Testament where the image or the symbolism of fishing is used. And yet in the Old Testament, it's used in the context of judgment. People are caught in order to be judged. That was the idea of being fished in the Old Testament, you are caught to be judged. And yet here, Jesus calls the people who would fish for people, not so that they could be judged, 
but so that they could bring the good news of the kingdom, backing it up with good works of compassion. You see, the final restoration had come. The disciples of Jesus would catch people for the kingdom, not by taking them out of the world into some hypothetical better one, but by changing the world in such a way that God's reign could be established on earth. That's what they were called to do. I'm guessing, as I look around the room, that most of you might have tried your hand at fishing at one point in life. I have. I have. For me, it started with a net on a bit of cane, and I used to go down to the stream, the drain that was at the bottom of our street, and there with everybody else in the summer holidays, I'd stand there and sweep into this stream and hopefully catch sticklebacks, tiddlers, frog spawn. Then it moved on to this. When I went to Scarborough for my holidays, every shop along the seafront sold these hand lines. And everybody seemed to then stand on the pier and throw these things to catch crabs or whiting or whatever was on the end of the pier. Well, my journey of sophistication in fishing finally ended up with dabbling with a rod and weights and a float. And do you know, I don't know how many hours I've spent sat on the, the side of the canal in Hull watching this thing bobbing up and down and nothing else happening. Honestly. I felt that it wasn't quite a hobby I wanted to pursue, but it was almost like a rite of passage. I had to do it. Everybody else in the town did it, so I did it. This great fishing city, I was not a fisherman, I can assure you, and I quickly decided fishing wasn't to be. It was never a firm hobby of mine. Actually, what I discovered was that making good fishermen is a long, involved process. You don't just grab a net and a stick and away you go. You don't just go buy something from the seaside and hoy it off the end of the pier. You don't just go pick up a, a line and there you are, suddenly you're, you're reeling in every form of trout, perch and pike going. It's a long involved process. It requires teaching over time. Not only hearing words of instruction, but also watching other master fishermen at work. By watching, by listening a master, we pick up the art and we develop a trade. After all, that's probably how Simon and Andrew, James and John, had learned their fishing trade in exactly the same way. And so in calling them to be fishers of men, Jesus wasn't asking them to only hear him talk about his craft. He was calling them to watch him at work. He was calling them to allow him to guide their emerging abilities. It wasn't just a call to receive instruction. It was a call to live the Jesus way. And you get this amazing response. I mean, every time I read this response, it just amazes me that immediately, in obedience... They leave their nets and they follow. Come follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Hi, all right then. Where'd they go? James, John, they even leave their father behind. 
Now, actually, in Jewish tradition, that was horrendous. Family was one of the most valued things in, fa- in life. And here they are. I all right then. Dad, you're right. See ya. And away they go. In truth, we don't know what it was that, about Jesus that led them to do that. Did they know him already? Had they already met him? We don't know. Was this their first contact with him? In any case, there was something remarkably compelling about Jesus to cause these and others to follow him into an uncertain future. What was it? What was this remarkably compelling thing that caused these people to leave everything and follow him? I'm always amazed at people that are prepared to leave everything behind and embark on something new. I'm amazed at people that will embark on a career change having trained all their life for one job, within a week, suddenly, they've ditched it all and decided to open up a chocolate store or something like that, having been financial bankers. Wow! When I get on the bus to come into the hall, there's always a pile of the Metro newspapers on the bus, uh, and it's something to read, so I occasionally glance through it. And a good while back, the Metro carried an article about making drastic career changes. And it advised that anybody making a drastic career change should do these four things. Ask yourself some tough questions. Think about your transferable skills. Figure out what you want. And be prepared for a pay cut. It concluded the article by saying this. Those starting out, those starting over in a brand new industry need to be prepared to start from the bottom all over again. You might need to adjust your lifestyle to fit, but don't let this put you off. For these four men, I see nothing about any kind of questioning. I don't see anything about them taking a long time to ponder this life change. I see an immediate response. The astonishing feature of this story is that they followed quickly Jesus very quickly with no idea where it was going to lead. Wow. Wow. They followed Jesus very quickly with no idea where that was going to lead. Perhaps that was an intentional message that Mark was trying to get across. God's kingdom is here. It's near. There's no time to lose. Pick it up. But Jesus certainly seems to catch these followers off guard. I'm shocked, and yet I shouldn't be, because when I look back at it in my life, how often can I identify with that, that God in Jesus comes to me in the most unexpected moments and catches me off my guard in order to move me forward? Have you experienced that? Friends, I come to the end this morning and I think of four men who in an instance were asked to weigh up the cost of responding to a simple call to be followers of Jesus, to walk with him, to discover the person that he was and to live the way of Jesus in the world themselves. That's what they were asked and they had to weigh up that cost. 
He was making the offer to them. They didn't have to ask permission to follow him. He was making the offer to them. And with no time to lose, they actually responded. And I think that same offer stands today. That same offer to follow remains today. It's not obligatory. Nor is it forced. It's offered freely. It's not obligatory. It's not forced. It's offered freely. Come, follow me. So this Lent season, here's the challenge. Let's trace the footsteps of Jesus once again. Let us weigh up what it is to live the way of Jesus in the world. There's an old chorus in the Salvation Army songbook. It goes back to the old one, the last one, and the last one. And it just gives a little response. And it simply says, where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. You have to repeat the same line over again. I'll go with him, with him, all the way. Words are on the screen. So ignore the words on the screen. That's the closing song. But you don't need the words because it's literally two lines. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him, all the way. Jesus says to us all this morning, come, follow me. Will you weigh up the cost? Will you take up the offer to follow? It's not obligatory, it's not forced, it's offered freely. This morning, let's commit ourselves to tracing the footsteps of Jesus again in the world. And let's weigh up what it is to live the way of Jesus in the world. Pick up the chorus with me, if you know it. Close your eyes and make it a prayer. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him, all the way. Thank you, John. Together. Where he leads me. together Lord Jesus today you call us each to a new beginning you say to us come follow me you call us to a new beginning a new being a new doing you call us to follow to move to become well this day Lord may we look at you look at your example as it, we read it in Mark's gospel 
And we just pray that you'll help us turn towards you, that you'll help us to follow, that you'll help us as we wrestle with cost, that you'll help us understand the things we're reading. Help us in our belief and in our unbelief. And help us in our thinking when it comes to spiritual matters. Help us to trust you. Help us to live in the life that you would have us live. Help us to lay down what we know and to pick up something new. Lord, empower us to go out with you across, beyond, into the deep, bringing in your wonderful kingdom on this earth. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.